0: Well welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Such a great weekend, I hope you had. Uh it sound like Yoda <laughs> saying that. Such a great weekend, I hope you had. Uh, but hopefully you had a nice, relaxing Labor Day weekend. Of course, there are lots of things going on all around the world, uh things happening all over the country. Before we get too much further into the program, I want to thank uh, bottom line listener Milton. Who called in from Lake Elsinore over the weekend? Uh, Milton gave a very generous gift to support the ministry of preborn. And we've been telling you about the fact that preborn tells the truth to women who are facing what we would call a crisis pregnancy or a, an unplanned pregnancy, as it were. And basically, what happens is. When a woman has a a pregnancy that for whatever reason, I mean, sometimes it's unplanned and they just caught off guard. Other times you find women, we've heard from women who have been in between insurance companies or maybe just were looking for a better opinion than you get at an abortion clinic. Oftentimes when you go to a doctor's office, depending on the bent of the doctor, the doctor will tell you what they want you to hear with regard to your options and um, what they consider to be health care and you know and, and i say what they consider to be health care because there are a lot of people in the medical profession these days who are of the opinion that killing a preborn child is health care that that is the proper medical treatment for a woman facing a pregnancy that she did not plan on having and you and i both know that that's not really fair to the child it's not fair to the woman it's not fair to anybody involved i love what dr alveda king says about um the sanctity of human life as it pertains to the unborn. And this is a woman who, even though she grew up in a home where her uncle um, was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s brother, um, they were both great evangelists and pastors, and she said even growing up in a Christian home, she wound up having, I believe, three abortions. And it was during that time where she realized God spoke to her and said, hey, wait a minute, there's another way. This, we're talking about civil rights for both the mother and the child. So civil rights for the preborn or the unborn means that you consider that person who's in the womb to be a human being. And when you do so, you know, then Lord willing, you know, you, you get a chance to have a, a great life with that child. That soul is important in God's economy. Now, we know that the preborn child, if for whatever reason uh, mom chooses to end the pregnancy and kill the child, uh, that child, of course, is immediately ushered into the presence of God. But we would like to see them. We would like to see what gifts they have to offer to the body of Christ here. You know, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's very, very important that we have those opportunities. And so that's why we fight so passionately for this. It's not a pro-birth proposition. It's a pro-life proposition. And that's a huge distinction to make, was having a conversation with a a fairly liberal uh, progressive pastor and his wife about that very issue. And she was the one who, who said to me, hey, It sounds to me like you're more pro-birth than pro-life. What about the the young woman who has an opportunity to get make something of herself, you know, have a life, have an education, whatever, and then she gets pregnant. And now that basically ends her life. And I thought, well, you know, if you take a look at throughout history of the number of incredible women who have done remarkable things while pregnant, um, you might beg to differ. But that's one of the tropes that you see in the mainstream media, you know, that every woman who gets an abortion is an underprivileged, underage woman who, uh, or young girl who, who th- this will ruin their life if they have an, uh, if they don't have an abortion. And our friends at Preborn would beg to differ. Twenty-eight dollars provides an ultrasound appointment at a Preborn clinic to uh, give a woman who suspects she might be pregnant a chance for a pregnancy test the ultrasound get to see the pictures of the baby hear the heartbeat measure the growth of the child tell you how far along you are and then they'll tell you what your three options are option number one is fairly obvious it's been happening since the beginning of time and that is congratulations you're a parent option number two in places like the people's republic of california and the people's republic of colorado is you can abort the child kill the child and the pregnancy uh, of course, the way that pregnancies end is the child is delivered. That's, that's the God's plan A for ending a pregnancy, not just, quote-unquote, killing the child. But the third option that does not get discussed enough in the abortion world is adoption. As evidenced by the fact that of there were 375,000 abortions that Planned Parenthood would admit to in the last fiscal year and during that same time period you know how many adoption referrals they handed out 1800 so what half a percent of the time that they're giving an abortion rec- referral uh, abortion clinics are basically saying yeah if you want to adopt you can there's a sign up on the wall but abortion do you want medical or chemical do you want to do it today or tomorrow i mean those are the only options you get Milton in Lake Elsinore made a donation over the weekend that I'm very proud of and I want to share with you. And Milton, thanks for doing this. Called into 833-850-BABY, 833-850-2229, and made a donation of, it's $28 per um, ultrasound treatment, right? Milton's gift was $840. Do the math, divide by 28. 30 uh, appointments, is what Milton's gift covers. One-time tax-deductible donation. No match in place right now. Dennis Wilson's match has been used. That's just out of the kindness of his heart between him and God. But I wanted to to share that with you to say, look, we can give $28, we can give $28 a month. We can give $56 for two appointments. Lisa and I give $56 each month, which over the course of the year is $700, $800, whatever it is. But those big gifts, $840, $2,800, $15,000. Those large donations add up very quickly. Think of if you were a school teacher and you had 30 kids in your class and you made that $840 donation, one donation for representing each child who is alive and in your class, okay? Or if you're a Sunday school teacher, you're a church choir director, whatever it is, you pick the number. I, I encourage people, I mean, we have 10 kids and grandkids in our family, hopefully an 11th one, next year. We're we're waiting to find out good news any day now on that. But So it's real easy for us to say, well, then a $280 donation covers all of our kids and grandkids. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. Make your best donation to preborn right now. 833-850-2229. Do what Milton did. Make that $840 donation or that $2,800 donation or that $5,000 donation, whatever God is leading you to do. 833-850- 2229 you know i mentioned the issue of abortion and during the 2022 midterms i had many conversations with pastor jack hibbs of calvary chapel chino hills and real radio that airs here in southern california at the end of the bottom line show bottom line from 3 to four thirty. real radio from 4 30 to 5 uh, pastor jack really got involved in the stop prop one campaign really became heavily involved in the um Uh, just motivating Christians and pastors to get off of the pews, get off our hands and actually start making a difference in the culture. And after Prop 1 was soundly passed, I mean, just it wasn't even close passed, it really motivated Pastor Jack to uh, launch an initiative that's actually gonna be kicking off this Friday. Basically, it's an idea to get people involved in church fellowship on a regular basis. Now, typically the second Sunday of the month of September is something we in the pastoral ministry call uh, back to church, You know, it's, it's a Sunday kickoff, it's the fall programs begin. That's typically when everyone was back to school. Um, Pastor Jack and the team at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills are launching an initiative called Just Church. The idea is very simple. If you've been out of church fellowship for a while, maybe because of COVID, Maybe because you kind of burned out on it. Maybe because you were away from church for several months and you started watching online, you said, who needs this stuff anymore? Basically, the Just Church event is a perfect way for you to begin to experience what it means to be a part of the church, the body of Christ, on a local level. And so, I, matter of fact, right now I am going online to justchurchsocal.com which we have linked up at the bottom line show.com and i am signing up to be a part of this event it's free it's taking place this friday the uh, uh, the 8th of september at honda center in anaheim well where's that anaheim orange uh, it's, it's in orange county let's put it that way over by angel stadium it's a free event doors open at 5:30 the event begins at 7 p.m., and it's going to be fantastic uh, to see all these believers. I mean, Honda Center's going to pack out. I mean, don't don't kid yourself for a minute. The idea that you have, um, you know, b- an opportunity to be a part of this event, and I know when uh, Greg Laurie did the uh, Harvest Crusade that happened at um, uh, Honda Center as well, when they did that, event back in July. First part of July, I think it was the first and second. Those dates, I mean, man, the, they opened the doors at like two in the afternoon. The place was standing room only. It was passed up. Basically, this is it. Just church with Pastor Jack Hibbs, just calling the believer home. Coming back to the heart of the church by joining fellow Christians to worship, study scripture, and recommit to following Jesus wholeheartedly. It's simple. It's biblical. It's powerful. Just Jesus. Just church. They're going to be a time of worshiping together, a message, and then encouraging people to recommit, to live out their faith with boldness and conviction. You know, what what is the church? What, ecclesia. Where here's the deal. If you have been hurt by the church, maybe pastors ripped you off, or there was some of the church who ripped you off um, or, or hurt you in any way. This is an opportunity for you to come home and say we're going to put the hurt aside and let's let the healing begin. Just Church Southern California happening this Friday night, September the 8th, 7:30 p.m. Honda Center, officially it is Anaheim did a little Google search here. We've got the link for JustChurchSoCal.com up at TheBottomLineShow.com. But if you go online and sign up, there are going to be more opportunities to do Just Church all across the country. This is the first. This is kind of the kickoff event, so I encourage you to do so. You know, we still have freedom of religion. We still have freedom to worship God freely in spirit and in truth, and we're grateful that we do, but there is definitely a movement in the secular world to try to steal that freedom from us. Jerry Newcomb of the Providence Forum will talk about how he addresses that in his Brand new book, Stealing Freedom, coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives.
1: The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Call
0: 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to talk about a fascinating new resource, If you've ever wondered if it seems like there are more and more attacks on religious liberty, about people of the Christian faith and the marketplace of of, uh, ideas, that it seems like more and more people outside the church are attacking the church, well, there's some new statistical evidence that indicates that what you're experiencing is not just anecdotal, it's really happening. And joining me today here on The Bottom Line is Dr. Jerry Newcomb, who's the director of the Providence Forum and a part of D. James Kennedy Ministries. We talk about a lot of movies that they've worked on. This is a brand new book called Stealing Freedom, The Secular Assault on Your Religious Liberty. And we've got a link for the book up at the show.com. Dr. Jerry Newcomb, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you, Roger. Great to be with you. Let's talk about the uh, the the whole issue of religious liberty. A lot of people don't understand what we're talking about. When we do, can you kind of start with a cursory definition before we kind of get into why the secular left has been coming after religious liberty for such a long
2: time? Sure. Well, first of all, I, I I'd like to lay this foundation point foundational point, and that is that America was founded really by those. Christians seeking religious freedom. That was ultimately the motivation. And uh, and, and so they, you know, when we became a nation, we, you know, made sure that religious freedom was even in our, you know, governing document, the U.S. Constitution. Mm -hmm. But we find ourselves today in a situation where even though Christians founded the country for religious freedom, then extended that freedom to all, Now, today, religious freedom is being, uh, you know, chipped away at and so forth. And it's it's an incredible irony because, you know, America was founded, as I say, for that very reason. The Mm -hmm. secularists are, if you will, stealing freedom. Yeah. And what's interesting about that, that that phrase, Dr. Jerry Newcomb, is the fact that
0: I don't think many people on the secular left realize it sounds kind of like a a bit of a a paradox that religious liberty makes it possible for secular leftists to be atheist or agnostic or whatever they want to. I mean, the fact that there is this foundation that allows for a level playing field where many of them will say, well, we are the ones who are tolerant and inclusive and welcoming. But you Christians need to be quiet. <laughs> it's like,
2: it's kind of a paradox. Isn't it? Yeah, and that's a very good point. You know, I, I I think you can put it this way. The founders gave us freedom of religion. What the secularists are demanding is freedom from religion. Oh, that's a good point. Freedom, freedom from religion gives freedom for the unbeliever, but freedom of religion gives freedom for the believer and the unbeliever. See mm-hmm. the difference? Yeah. It's, you know, so in, in reality, the Christian view is is far more um, tolerant, truly, you know, in in, in deeds. In fact, if, if I could give an example, yeah from our founders. Okay. Thomas Jefferson, not always you know, an Orthodox Christian. And in fact, I wrote a whole book with Mark Belials about that called Doubting Thomas, but hmm. we showed that that Jefferson wasn't a lifelong skeptic. He later entertained some skeptical ideas. Uh, But he certainly didn't believe in the naked public square, you know, the idea that America is supposed to be a godless wasteland, really. And he wrote something very important called the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom. He wrote it in 1777. It was passed uh, when he was in France by his good friend James Madison in 1786, the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom. And he bases his arguments on Jesus Christ. He says, Almighty God has created the mind free, and he said, if we try to force people to believe something that's contrary to what they actually believe, all it does is beget habits of hypocrisy, and it's a departure from the plan of the holy author of our religion. There's the reference to Jesus. It's a departure from the plan of the holy author of our religion, who being Lord, both of body and mind, uh, chose reason and not coercion, as was in his almighty power to do in order to propagate, you know, belief in that faith. So, in other words, Jesus has given us freedom. Therefore, the state should give us religious freedom too. And, uh, you know, and I, I, that's an amazing statement, especially coming from one of the more liberal, uh, you know, founding fathers. I mean, and he did not represent the average founding father. The average founding father was, uh, trinitarian christian in good standing you know with active members in the in the trinitarian churches i i mentioned that because that's in contrast to unitarian right right
0: right that's a, an excellent point from dr jerry newcomb today here on the bottom line uh, talking about the brand new book called stealing freedom the secular assault on your religious liberty uh, the link is up at the bottom line show.com and i think the proof is in the pudding dr newcomb if i may that a guy who was more of a uh well uh, a constitutionalist when it came to religious liberty, like Thomas Jefferson, understood that Allowing for the triune God to be, you know, the, this is where we recognize where our rights come from. I mean, that's in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. I love the noted theologian Jeff Boxworthy who says anybody can figure that out. That's a the way you describe it, and we all should be able we all should be able to understand it. But t- talk about too the Trinitarian versus Unitarian issue because I think on the secular side. On the progressive left side, especially when it comes to people who are, and this is for our myhopenow.com uh, viewers who are watching by uh, putting air quotes up, uh, so the, the progressive Christian side seems to think that Christianity should be Unitarian, not Trinitarian. Talk about that.
2: Well, it's interesting. Um, I just earlier today, I was uh, re-quoting the opening of the statement of the Treaty of Paris. The Treaty of Paris of 1783 was the official document whereby the United States and England you know uh, declared peace so that was the that was the official document it it officially unofficially ended at Yorktown a year and a half or two and a half years actually before and the treaty of paris begins in the name of the most holy and undivided trinity that's how it opens you know wow. the the belief in the trinity is that, uh, you know, we believe the triune God has revealed himself in history. Uh, even, you know, from the Christian perspective, even the first page of the Bible, uh, Genesis 1, shows the Trinity at work. You have God the Father as the creator, but he does it in cooperation with Jesus the Son, his word, he speaks and these things come into being. And the Holy Spirit is right there in in the second verse of the Trinity. But here's the bottom line is... Um, the founding fathers, they, as they say, they were part of Trinitarian churches. Uh, here's an example. George Washington. George Washington was a devout Anglican. When he went to church, week after week after week, uh, he, in those churches, those Anglican churches, Episcopal churches, they they would all stand up and then they would read, off the walls you know kind of like today you'll have a service and they'll have a slide projector or not not a slide projector but a, mm-hmm. you know a projecting screen and then there's words for the hymn or words maybe for a creed or something like that well they would read week after week the apostles creed the apostles creed is a perfect example of trinitarian belief because the overall structure of the apostles creed which goes back to you know the early centuries of the christian church the overall structure is: I believe in God the Father. I believe in God, Jesus, the God the Son, and I believe in God the Holy Spirit. That's the overall structure. Right. Now, there's obviously a lot more attention spent to Jesus the Son, but bottom line is uh, the Unitarian view would be more; it would, in effect, demote Jesus Christ, and he would maybe be a good example, but he wouldn't be the divine Son of God. But, um, you know, ultimately, I don't see how you can be a professing Christian and reject the deity of Jesus Christ. And in fact, I remember seeing a statistic where it said something like uh, only 20 percent of today's Unitarians even call themselves Christians. Mm. And, and I will say this. I did see one time a a uh, track that was unpublished, but it was circa that is around eighteen hundred. And it was from the early Unitarians, before they joined with the Universalists. Unitarian Universalists is today's Unitarians. And it was almost like non-denominational Christianity, hmm. you know, where it was sort of, you know, when the, wow. they, they, they talked about Jesus as the Savior and so forth. Well, Jesus, we believe, as a Savior because he was divine, you know. He, right. You know, it, it, he didn't die as an example for... Uh, his love to us as as you know the left might say he died because he became our sin bearer as both one who was fully god and fully man and so you know the founders believed this i mean most of them i mean the vast majority of them and uh, so i think it's important now later uh, john adams entertained some doubts along those lines uh but but still, when he was very useful to the to the country, he you know was outwardly a Christian, and even in you know involved in again Trinitarian churches.
0: My mm. well, Dr. Jerry Newcomb with Providence Forum and Dr. D. James Kennedy Ministries is with me today here on the Bottom Line, talking about a brand new book called "Stealing Freedom: The Secular Assault on Your Religious Liberty" and why I mean it, the it looks at the origins of religious liberty in the West. It looks at Supreme Court decisions that uh, have actually helped and others that have actually hurt the cause and why it's so important for us to defend religious liberty, not just because we're Christians, but because really the health of our nation depends on it. We've got a link for this book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Always great to talk with Dr. Jerry Newcomb, the uh, president of... uh, the Providence Forum, and also the author of this brand new book called Stealing Freedom. We have two copies of this book we're giving away today here on this Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line. Would love to place one in your hands. So give us a call right now at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. Again, the book by Dr. Jerry Newcomb, Stealing Freedom. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, it's interesting as we look at the indictments against Donald Trump and the election interference charges in Georgia and the racketeering case, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to get into another racketeering case that actually is a racketeering case that even though it involves pro-lifers, I think the court got that one right. But it's interesting that word stealing came up. Donald Trump was the one who initially said, I think the election was stolen. And the left went nuts. Oh, they, he said it was stolen. It wasn't stolen. wasn't stolen. wasn't stolen. does wasn't, 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 wasn't stolen. wasn't stolen. Nope, it wasn't stolen. And, you know, it's interesting how when the, the Francis Schaeffer line, he who defines the word defines the world or controls the world. The idea that there was some jerry-rigging and gerrymandering going on in the election well, there's been that type of stuff happening ever since there's been a the United States of America. The difference is that what happened in this case is that it was at such a widespread scale and it was designed to keep Donald Trump from winning office and now all the different, did you see the other day? Alvid Bragg all of a sudden, we are Donald Trump, uh, you know, it was Letitia James in the New York case. Uh, he overstated the value of his assets by $2.2 billion and that, 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 that's bad. So basically Donald Trump overstated the value of his assets. Brothers and sisters, I worked for a Christian company years and years ago that applied for and got a loan, and it turned out they had overstated the assets. And you know what happened to that company? Nothing. (laughs) As long as they didn't default on the loan, the bank didn't care. These claims of Donald Trump stealing, you know, not having the election stolen from him. It's just a diversion to keep you from stealing or seeing that your freedoms are being stolen in this country. More of my conversation with Dr. Jerry Newcomb in just a moment as the bottom line continues.
3: You're a Christian who's been injured, so you need Christian attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to fight for you. With Stephanie, it's not just a routine legal process, it's a spiritual battle. She understands that a legal fight involves more than flesh and blood. It means confronting principalities and powers, and that's why she consistently prays with and for her clients. She forms long-lasting relationships with her clients, just as you would expect from someone who engages in spiritual battle alongside another believer. Praise for Stephanie pours in through cards, thank you texts, and letters from clients who thank her for checking up on them, coming to see them in the hospital, praying, and even finding alternative care when current care is inadequate. Inspired by Jesus' command to love one another, Stephanie uses her skill as an attorney and knowledge of insurance processes to fight for your completeness and healing don't wait any longer contact stephanie cover today at kbrightradio.com slash cover and let her take up your spiritual battle
0: dr jerry newcomb is my guest today here on the bottom line He's the executive director of Providence Forum, and we have a link for Providence Forum up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have many conversations on a regular basis with Dr. Newcomb about some of the movies and and printed resources that come from Providence Forum. The latest is a brand new book called Stealing Freedom, The Secular Assault on Your Religious Liberty. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And Jerry, during the break, we were talking about kind of an overview of the book and how a pastor or maybe a Bible study, maybe a Christian school would take a resource like this and use it kind of walk us through how you put this book together
2: yes well first of all we have a nice forward by Elvita King who Ah, is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, niece and she really gets it and uh, you know she basically explains why the issue is so important and you know what's happening today then we have a chapter by Dr. Robert J. Pacienza he's Mm. the the spokesman now uh, for the Coral Ridge program, which is called Truths that Transform, yes. uh, Dr. Kennedy's longtime program. And then we have a, a chapter that I wrote with Dr. D. James Kennedy, oh, which yes. basically shows how, uh, you know, America has this great Christian roots, but it was so much geared was towards religious freedom and so forth. I mean, when you look at the original charters in America, you see the, the Christian faith all over the place. And then uh, Stephen Mansfield, the oh, yes. historian, yes, he, mm-hmm. he writes a chapter in there about uh, one of the things that really, one of the pivotal movements in all this, how we got away from our original uh, you know, version of the understanding about the Constitution and religion. Specifically, the Constitution says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's the opening of the First Amendment. Religious freedom was front and center to the founders when they wrote the Bill of Rights. Religious freedom, front and center. Well, those words were written in 1791 and adopted then. And uh, in 1947, the U.S. Supreme Court took those words, but they took this obscure letter from Thomas Jefferson, who wasn't even there when the Constitution was written, and they did even distorted what Jefferson said, but they they basically said, oh, well, what this means is there is a strict wall of separation between mm. church and state, and we cannot allow the slightest breach in, in that wall. And then all of a sudden, the idea that, well, those those opening words meant there will be no national denomination. At the time of the adoption of the First Amendment, again, Congress will make no law respecting blah, 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 blah uh, there were half of at least half of the states had state churches Mm. and those were never viewed as constitutional but the federal government would make no law respecting this so there wouldn't be the national church of america like you have the church of england right and and so forth so even even when people talk about the national cathedral what that is is it's a a beautiful building it is a part of the episcopal church uh they do have some national services there or whatever but in no way is you know is it any kind of compulsory thing it's not it's not really technically part of the government it's it's a part of the episcopal church so there's a huge difference between that and a state-run church where you were expected to conform again as jefferson said when you force that on people all it does is beget habits of hypocrisy. And Mm. I think that's really important. And the idea, by the way, of acknowledging God, of the president swearing in on the Holy Bible, which they do in saying, so help me God, which they do. Or in the case of George Washington or Harry Truman, they lean down in their inauguration and kissed the Holy Bible. As D. James Kennedy once put it. Why? That's enough to give the ACLU apoplexy. (laughs) (laughs) But but anyway, the idea of acknowledging God, that is not the same thing as establishing religion, according to the founders. But according to today's secularists, ah, that is establishing religion. So the Supreme Court, when they started to go the wrong way, they started to give us some, some really bad decisions. And so we deal with some of those in the book. And other chapters include... Chapters by uh, David Gibbs III, mm-hmm. who is the uh, founder and director of the National Center for Life and Liberty. Dr. Peter Loback who is the founding president of Providence Forum, which he generously donated uh, to the ministry. He and I wrote a book. Uh, there's a picture of it right there. <laughs> Actually, mm-hmm. the book yeah. itself is right there. It's called George Washington's Sacred Fire. It just, it's a 1,200-page book documenting George Washington's wow. was devout. 18th century Anglican mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and and to say otherwise is to distort the record uh yeah. we also have a chapter there by John Rabe who's the director of uh creative communications for the ministry and uh and by the way this book is published by D. James Kennedy Ministries of which Providence Forum is a part mm-hmm. but I just you know just to clarify that and what Mr. Rabe deals with is how today the LGBTQ plus uh Crowd or whatever the 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 radical agenda of that group is is truly often trumping religious freedom uh, in, in our time. So that's why there's a chapter on that. And then finally, there's a chapter from John Amon, who is a deals with a lot of our communications at the ministry, and he kind of wraps it all up. And then he even put an appendix in there of these religious groups, uh, religious legal groups that fight for religious freedom. You know, D. James Kennedy, about thirty years ago, surveying the landscape, realized there's a there's a serious problem of religious freedom being threatened, you know, in in our day, and it's only gotten worse, unfortunately, to some degree. And so anyway, he and and Bill Bright and James Dobson mm-hmm. and Larry Briquette and Marlon Maddox, and one or two others, they joined forces and founded the ADF. And the Alliance defending freedom is one of those legal groups mentioned in that appendix. And they're doing the Lord's work, you know, in the in the courts of the land and in the courts of public opinion to to fight for freedom of religion as opposed to freedom from religion.
0: Boy, that's powerful insight from Dr. Jerry Newcomb today here on The Bottom Line. Jerry's the executive director of the Providence Forum, which, as he duly noted, is a part of the D. James Kennedy Ministry family. We're talking about a brand new book they've published called Stealing Freedom, The Secular Assault on Your Religious Liberty. Uh, That's linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. And of course, we love hearing about Alliance Defending Freedom and and, uh, what a great partnership that we have with them here for National Crawford Roundtable and The Bottom Line. Show. Jerry you got a couple minutes left in our conversation. And that whole idea of that, you know, the wall of separation between church and state has kind of given uh secularists and atheists and leftists uh the feeling, anyway, that they've got license to just basically say, look, we get to patrol the church and control what they do, but the church doesn't have any say-so when it comes to what legislators do and things of that nature. Talk about how the book Stealing Freedom will help us kind of reframe the conversation. To help us understand what the Constitution really says about religious liberty, and how it really does benefit everybody, both Christian and
2: secular alike. Well, I think what the, what the book does is is address those myths that allow the secularists to say those kinds of things and mm-hmm. and to try and get away with it, which they have for so long. In fact, uh, one of the most egregious, I think, examples of you know misunderstanding church and state comes from the Supreme Court in 1980 when they had a, a Supreme Court decision about the Ten Commandments in the public schools. And they said, well, if the Ten Commandments are posted in the schools, then the children might read them, meditate mm-hmm. on them, mm-hmm. venerate them, and obey them. Mm. Now, we can't have that. That's a violation right. of the Establishment Clause. It is? No, it's mm. not. No, <laughs> you know, not by a long and, and by the way, those words were written uh, before there were all these mass – school shootings you know which is so tragic you know uh, imagine the idea of saying thou shalt not kill hey you can't say that in school that's a religious <laughs> statement okay you know the by the way even even in terms of what they said uh on the face of it is, is crazy because because of this uh anybody can come up with a bunch of rules but the issue is how do you enforce those rules well with the ten Commandments god is the one who's made us god is the one who wrote those ten commandments even with his own finger and you know in one of the iterations of it uh uh, on the the mount on mount sinai but anyway bottom line is he will hold us accountable Uh, about 40 years ago or so ted turner came up with his own version of the ten commandments he called it the ten voluntary initiatives or something like that i've asked people well how many can name any one of those ten and how many have even heard that story that he came up with his own version of the Ten Commandments? But the bottom line is we're not going to stand before Ted Turner. Mm-hmm. Just, right. My yeah. most recent column, in fact, deals with how uh, the communists in China right now are rewriting portions of the Bible mm-hmm. to, you know, uh, in a in a very negative way. But, you know, like one of the examples is they 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 took the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. And they turned it around to say something like, there shall be no Western influence, you know, here in China. Something like oh. that. Effect. Whoa. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. I know. It's, it's, you you can read about it, by the way, in my latest column, which is in Newsmax and World Net Daily, etc. Um Bottom line is that the founders expected that the people would be virtuous for this thing to work. And the reason that they expected people to be virtuous is they knew that they they encourage voluntary religion to flourish. As John Adams put it, our constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And that's why the idea of stealing religious freedom is bad for the country. Right. It's bad for everybody and uh, so that's why we thought it was so important to address this book and and arm people with the, you know, like the kind of the water cooler talking points Yes, you know, yes. About, about this, uh, you know, these debates and why it matters.
0: Well, mission accomplished, Dr. Jerry Newcomb. The book Stealing Freedom. The Secular Assault on Your Religious Liberty is up at TheBottomLineShow.com, and we highly recommend it to our listeners. Uh, Jerry, always a pleasure. Thank you for the work, the great work you do at Providence Forum and D. James Kennedy Ministries, and thank you for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Thank you, Roger. Always great to get some time with Dr. Jerry Newcomb, the president of the Providence Forum, and this uh, Stealing Freedom uh, book is so powerful. You really need to take a look at it. Um, we've got two copies of it to give away, kind of two for Tuesday, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And if you think about the freedoms that we enjoy here in the United States, and you see the Judeo-Christian ethic that we have that has become so, uh, so accepted in this culture, it's true that fewer and fewer people are actually paying closer attention to biblical standards for the uh for for where they get their morals and values we're going to take a quick break and you want to talk about an opportunity for the enemy to steal not only your freedom but to really mess with your head and your soul on the other side of this break there's a new phenomenon in artificial intelligence where you've seen these of these kind of deep fake photos of Videos and things like that that are so real. I mean, th- this is Photoshop on steroids, right? Photoshop, where you used to be able to, you know, that was the program, I think it was like 20 years ago, where you'd see a, a picture of someone and, and then you'd realize that the picture had been altered to the point where the Photoshop kind of enhanced someone's appearance. And then it kind of spread into videos and then they had these what's called deep fake videos. Well, we'll get into all this on the other side of this break because now. AI has moved to the point where it's actually impacting God's word. It's actually moved into territory where uh, we could see the point of no return for some people. I I don't mean to overstate the, the drama there, the dramatics, but there's something for all of us to pay attention to, especially as we talk about hiding God's word in our heart. Is there a chat GPT Bible on the horizon? We'll take a look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833 baby That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. My thanks again to Dr. Jerry Newcomb of the Providence Forum for joining me today here on The Bottom Line during this uh, first half hour of the program to talk about the book Stealing Freedom, which we have two copies of we're giving away today, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. If you are like me and we are like lots of thousands, if not millions of Christians, we cherish the word of God. I know there are people in the Catholic Church who would look at people in the Protestant Church and say, wait, you know, your Bible has 66 chapters or books, rather. Ours has 73 because they include the Apocrypha. And it's interesting, as you heard uh, my conversation last week with James Harmon, talking about the end of the world and the book of Daniel and talking about some things from, I believe it was 2nd Ezra or something like that in the Apocrypha, where there was a description of what he was describing that would impact us here in the States would actually entail. But it's, as more and more people are doing a deeper dive of the authenticity of Scripture, we, we talk often on this program about the number of uh, people who uh, are doing archaeological digs that are confirming biblical history. My concern for biblical illiteracy in this culture went up dramatically when I came across a story about the uh, a social media site called Reddit. Uh, as in R-E-D-D-I-T, I read it here. Um, and it's just, it, it's a place where people have been posting different, you know, it's one of many platforms where people post thoughts and observations, commentaries, etc. But what was interesting about this is one Reddit poster last month um, was said he, he was feeling very sad about something and then he shared it. It was a fake biblical passage. And here's what, if you're you're not familiar with ChatGPT, I've never actually used it per se, personally. I've shared this story before because during a, we had a conversation once about uh, this very issue on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. And John Rush, my uh, colleague who hosts Rush to Reason on our sister station in Denver KLC, um, John had mentioned that he had used ChatGPT for some presentations that he'd done. And he said, you know, if you use it the right way, it can be very helpful. And then he put together during the show, he went on the ChatGPT app and he put together, um, he's basically he typed in some particulars about the sanctity of human life. And uh, what if I were doing a talk, a five minute talk at a crisis pregnancy center or fundraising banquet? You know, Can you give me a talk? Within 45 seconds, ChatGPT had generated a talk for John that basically outlined and identified Um, you know, the key points of the pro-life movement. They didn't go into deep dive specifics. You can go ahead and edit it, but put together a talk that any one of us, he texted it all to us during the show. Any one of us could have read that and and been proud and said, yeah, this is great. Talk about a time saver. How many people are going to start writing books like this? How many people are going to start doing screenplays? How many pastors are going to use this for sermon writing? I mean, it does have the capacity to be very helpful and very beneficial. Here's what this guy on Reddit did though. He basically went to his chat GPT app and he wanted to see if he could generate a Bible passage that would support Jesus accepting transgender people. Now, you know, if you know scripture, that there is no such thing. There is no passage in scripture where Jesus says, it's okay to be gay. There's no, in the same way that there's no passage in scripture where Jesus says it's okay to to commit adultery, quite the opposite. Now there are some parts of Scripture, obviously, where Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I tell you that if you even think about it in your heart, you're guilty. I mean, so that that he upped the ante dramatically for people who would follow him. Don't, in other words, don't just make this a law issue. You know, I came right up to the edge of the line, but I did go over the line, so therefore I did break the law. He said, no, if you think about, you know, an unhealthy lustful thought in your in your heart and your mind, then basically you've committed the sin because you said you wanted to. There are a lot of people in the LGBTQ community who will take the Bible out of context, they'll talk about passages where Jesus said love is love or, you know, whatever it is to 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 justify their position. I really don't see that support. But let me read something to you. That this user, the guy's called psychological underscore dog 527, was posted on a, a R trans channel. And here's what it said this, this is the fake passage that was generated. Um, this guy said, Chat GPT, give me a Bible verse about Jesus accepting transgender people. And here's what Chat GPT came up with. And a woman whose heart was divided between spirit and body came before him. In quiet despair, she asked, Lord, I come to you estranged, for my spirit and body are not one. How shall I hope to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus looked upon her with kindness, replying, My child, blessed are those who strive for unity within themselves, for they shall know the deepest truths of my Father's creation. Be not afraid, for in the kingdom of God there is no man nor woman all as all are one in spirit. The gates of my father's kingdom are open for, with lo, for those who love and are loved. And God looks not upon the body, but upon the heart. Now, if you know scripture, you know that there are several passages of scripture that were folded into this one. The stri- striving for unity. For example, Jesus does say in John, uh, John chapter 13, 34 and 35, "A new commandment I give you: Love one another. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another." I yes, I truncated that. And then we're talking about in the kingdom of God, there is no man nor woman. Of course, what we hear Jesus talking about, you know, there was the question of the Sadducees and marriage, and you know, the brother was married to a woman, and and he died without leaving any heirs. So then the Jewish tradition was then you would marry the next brother, and then they go through and. and which one would uh, she be after, whose wife would she be after the resurrection? And basically Jesus says, look, you're not going to be married or given in marriage in the resurrection. I mean, we're not going to be hung up on male or female and stuff like that in the kingdom of heaven. So once again, the chat GPT, knowing what the scripture actually says, creates a so-called Bible verse. And you know, How many people are going to see this on social media and go, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Did you know there's a Bible verse? And they'll start quoting this. The gates of my father's kingdom will open for those who love and are loved. Well, 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 wait a minute. Now that sounds like leftist uh, ideology for sure. But then follows it up with God looks upon, not upon the body, but the heart. Remember, God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at what's happening. That part is biblical, but it's morphed into, oh my goodness. This is incredible. It's incredible to see that, uh, well, you have to wonder what does biblical Christianity do with a world that looks like this? We'll take a quick break and offer a couple of solutions <laughs> coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line show. I'm Roger Marsh. You know one of the campaign issues is going to be uh, the LGBTQ community and just as the left Uh, basically lied during the midterms about how our democracy was at risk simply because Roe versus Wade had been overturned. Nothing could be further from the truth. You do realize this, that democracy was actually enforced by the number of states that have voted to pass legislation to ban abortions and the other states that have voted to pass legislation to enshrine abortions into their constitutions. That's democracy in action. You wouldn't see it going both ways if people weren't actually voting. So democracy was never on the ballot, but progressives were told it was. So now what's gonna happen in 2024? Well, what do you wanna bet that you're going to see? Here's a, a, a columnist who was into astrology and, and uh, says, says AI generated verses like this one are much needed given the all out attacks being launched against transgender people by America's right wing, nearly all of it in God's name. This verse has special resonance because of the virulent transphobia and anti-LGBT sentiment and legislation that continues to sweep the country, much of it supported and funded by Christians. Now, this is an AI verse. I'm not going to read it again because of, of time, but we will put it up at the bottomlineshow.com. Artificial intelligence responding to a guy on Reddit who said, "Hey, is there a can you create a Bible verse, ChatGPT, that would uh, basically support transgenderism and so taking bits and pieces of scripture as the enemy often does and not basically not telling a flat out lie because there's just enough truth in it what do we do well first of all we have to know the word secondly and and hide it in our hearts secondly we have to watch and see what legislators are doing here in the people's republic of california you know there will be a movement at some point to where the only Bibles that are approved are state-approved Bibles. It'll be the Soviet Union. Oh, we're not banning the Bible, we're just banning the, the, the translations of the Bible that have hate speech toward the LGBTQ community. Third, if there's anything you can do to stand up for truth, I mean, and do so in a compassionate, loving way, gentleness and respect, First Peter 3.15 says. But we have to help people in the LGBTQ community understand that just because someone who disagrees with you doesn't mean they want to kill you. Just because someone disagrees with you does not mean that that their words are a violent attack against you any more than their hate-filled rhetoric against Christians means that our lives are at risk. But they've been utterly convinced that they are. That anyone who says, I do not believe that transgenderism is an issue, that there's any way that you... It's like Joe Rogan said on his podcast not too long ago. He goes, okay, if you're a woman trapped inside a man's body, Okay, fine. Without hormones and without surgery, I encourage you. I will walk alongside you to help you transform. Why do you need surgery if you're really a woman? To, I mean, What does the surgery do? After the surgery, you still look like a woman who tried to make herself into a man or a man who tried to make himself into a woman. It just doesn't work. But beware, brothers and sisters, this type of technology is going to show up. Someone's going to come up with a... Uh, rendition of God's word that says um, this is true we have to know what is most certainly true amen that's the bottom line for our listeners on KCBC enjoy the rest of your day and Rabbi Schneider and the discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next for those who remain on the network a take on a pro-life story. You may have heard about the pro-life activists who were convicted of racketeering laws at a, an abortion clinic in Washington, D.C. On the other side of this break, I'm going to do an analysis, balance, and clarity segment where we actually walk through that case. And you're going to find out why I actually agree with the court on this one. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, welcome back to another edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Super Tuesday edition of the program today. And uh, we're taking a look here in this final half hour at a case that is, uh, it seems like it's right out of like the late 1970s, but it actually happened this year involving a group of pro-life advocates. Uh, Well, actually, the verdict was handed down just last week, Um, but it uh, involves a, a blockade of an abortion facility in 2020 and uh, all of the defendants uh, turned up on the wrong side of the law. Our friends at the Thomas More Society uh, indicated that they're gonna appeal the decision. But let me tell you exactly what happened here. And I think it's, it's important for us to understand that there are some people right now who are being maligned for their faith. There are some people who are actually involved in the uh, indictments of Donald Trump, in. Different, I say indictments plural, there are lots of them, but there are people of faith who have been working for the president, uh, who were working for the president back in 2020, and uh, some of them now are facing criminal charges for election interference and for inciting a riot and this, that, and the other thing. And you know, I have to understand that when we look at these cases and we see what's actually happening, we have to look at them, I think, through the lens of scripture, we have to look at them biblically and ask the question, do my words, do my actions, ultimately because they're motivated by my thoughts and feelings, do they reflect who Jesus Christ is and how we can basically what he told us to do uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before others that they would see your good deeds, they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And, And if I can expand on that for just a moment, not trying to add to or subtract from, whatever's in the scripture but looking at this biblically and saying okay when jesus says let your light so shine before others that they would see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven what in essence what he's saying is look you should be living lives as followers of christ we all should be living lives to where when people see the things that we do first of all they'll see that they are good things that we're doing which means they're for the benefit of others and then instead of seeing us doing them and saying, wow, Roger's a really great guy. Tamara's a really great girl, you know? Well, she's a grown woman, mother of two, but you know what I mean? Uh, that they'll say, they'll look at us and say, wow, there's something on them, there's something in them, there's something different about them. And then you begin to realize, well, then that's what we're talking about with Jesus, right? I mean, that, that's, it's not him that did it. If you've ever met somebody that you knew previously as a person of not faith, somebody who's kind of rowdy and rambunctious and whatever, and then you meet them years later and find out that they are actually now people of faith, you won't necessarily ask the question, well, why weren't you back then? There's a good chance they didn't know the Lord. Hopefully that was the case, not that they were people who knew the Lord and said, "Ah, I don't want to live like that. But either way, when you see that they're changed, this is the whole idea behind what our faith in Christ looks like. Before you have to worry about whatever you're going to share with people about your faith, they're going to look at you and say there's something different about you. Your countenance is different. Your actions are different. Your thoughts are different. And they'll notice that the way you're acting is really not... not we we talked about this, was it last week on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast? We were talking about Labor Day and uh, talking about uh, the work ethic that we have in the country and i didn't mean to oversimplify it right off the bat but i said look if you are experiencing this type of thing as an employer or maybe as an employee boy lisa and i've run into uh, we, we've changed neighborhoods and we've run into just a whole slew of people that just offer lousy customer service with things that are being done around the house so we just marvel uh, when we uh, the previous home that we'd purchased and moved into, brand new, we had some customization done, and almost every single person, mostly guys, but I'll say every single guy who came in to work on the house was fantastic, above and beyond. If they you know something wasn't right, they made it right. I mean, they did really good work. New place, a little bit bigger house, kind of a nicer one, I think. And but it's amazing how the level of craftsmanship has gone down in this new neighborhood. It just it is what it is. But nonetheless. I love the fact that when someone says, you know, I'm a believer in Christ and, and this is, you know, the, the, this is what I do for a living or whatever, you can see, you can tell. Uh, made the acquaintance of a, uh, actually, Greg Harris and I have a, now a mutual friend. and uh, Greg Harris, of course, the president and CEO of Through the Bible. And we were, he was introducing me to my friend, new friend, Bruce, and we were talking and uh, back and forth. And just within the first 10 minutes of our phone conversation, we both knew there was something special, something spirit-led about this dialogue. And we could sense it. Toward that end, I appreciate the people of faith who will get engaged in politics or will go to an abortion clinic or, you know, do whatever and really let the light of Christ shine. When those folks do what they do, you you know who I think of? I think of Kirsten Lynch with 40 Days for Life or Sean Carney, the founder of 40 Days for Life. I love when these people who are you know, are, are doing just that, just sharing the love of Christ with people, they wind up, you know, making a strong impact for the kingdom. Now, this is, this next story is a tough one because it involves five pro-life activists who were charged with violating the so-called Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, it's called the FACE Act, get it, F-A-C-E. And th- the idea is, you know, the, the, the freedom of access to clinic entrances sounds wonderful on its face, <laughs> get the pun. The reason why it's insidious is because it's used exclusively against people who support the pro-life community. And actually, the want to see babies not get butchered in abortion mills. But they use this Rico racketeering law, which is a racketeering uh, standard that basically makes it a crime to block the entrance to a, a business. And this was the result of a lot of organized crime families, you know, saying to, okay, if your business won't let us quote unquote provide you shakedown protection, then we will make it impossible for you to do business. We'll break all your windows, or we'll make the entrance unpassable, or whatever it is, and just incredulously those on the pro-life or the pro-abortion side of this argument have used the face act as kind of a softer uh marxism and fascism if you will to keep pro-life people from showing up at the front of an abortion clinic and praying or praying the rosary uh taking communion um, holding signs up that say, hey, if you're pregnant, we'll adopt your baby. You know, I mean, I realize there are some people who still will bring a picture of an aborted fetus out in front and say, this is what you're doing. And, you know, I, 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 when a woman is coming to an abortion clinic and she's considering having an abortion, I don't know if that's the most effective image to show her. I mean, it's true. It's real. That's what the baby looks like. But now that 52% of abortions are done, chemical abortions, the whole ripping limb from limb thing, isn't the same argument. I mean, there's still the same dead baby's remains. But I, I think it's more important now not to back away from this, but to say, look, what's the most effective way to communicate this? You know, if you're that parenting books will tell you that the best way to parent a child is to do so under control, and the worst way to parent a child is to parent the child out of control. You know the example. Uh, you and little Skyler are in the supermarket and he's acting up and he's just pitching a fit and you're trying to get, your, get on your bad side, down to your last nerve the whole shot. And what do you do? Well, you have two options. Number one, you can respond calmly and coolly to him and say, hey, buddy, we're not doing this anymore. When we get home, you're going to be punished. But right now, you need to knock it off because this is not appropriate. Or number two, oh, you stupid kid, bang, smack him in the butt. You're angry. The kid looks at you like, what was that noise? And people around you now say, why'd they hit that boy? Parenting has to be done under control. God never loses control when he disciplines us. So why should we lose control when we are disciplining others? So toward that end, I mean, when, when we fight against, you know, the forces of evil when it comes to the sanctity of human life, even fighting up against the FACE Act, I have to ask the question, what's the most effective way to approach this. Well, a group of people called Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, POW, I guess is the way he would pronounce it, has repeatedly called for the repealing of the FACE Act. They have been very, very active in helping to uncover some of the insidious, darker sides of the abortion industry. As a matter of fact, they made headlines last year uh, for something that was rather positive back in 2020 however they were b- forming a blockade of an abortion clinic in washington dc they were taken into custody they were brought up on charges of violating the face act and last friday the uh, deliberations began and uh this uh, past monday it was two fridays ago the follow, pa- following monday afterwards they were all found guilty So who are these people? What exactly did they do? And what can we learn from their example, especially in a time when it seems like the rights of Christians and conservatives and pro-life loving individuals are kind of in the short hairs, the crosshairs, if you will, of uh, what's happening coming out of the left. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're taking a look at the, uh, the group. I, I don't know if they call themselves POW, uh, the group Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, um, who they've been calling for the repeal of the FACE Act. If you're not familiar with the FACE Act, that's the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act. Um, and, and this is a bill that was passed to basically try to silence the pro-life community from showing up at abortion clinics and protesting. The group of people, the five defendants, Joan Andrews Bell, Jonathan Darnell, Paulette Harlow, Gene Marshall, and Jay Smith are going up on trial next month, but Lauren Handy, uh, Heather Adani, William Goodman, John Henshaw, and Herb Garrity were all found guilty of uh, violating the Freedom of Access to Clinics Entrance Act and a conspiracy against rights. And that's in quotes because I don't know what specifically that means. Now, I mentioned earlier the Thomas More Society was the group representing the firm. And by the way, remember, This is, I mean, these are pro-lifers, they're out in front of an abortion clinic, and God forbid they're telling women about the truth about what happens inside the clinic. Not everyone is gonna go to a pre-born clinic right away. Matter of fact, a lot of people who consider abortions will go to a Planned Parenthood or something because they honestly have been told that this is the best place to go. They don't know that for free, because we paid the $28 per visit, that a woman could go to a pre-born clinic, woman and her husband, woman and her boyfriend, you know, woman and her mom, whoever she wants to bring. I mean, mom has to, the mother of the child has to go. And they get an ultrasound. And that ultrasound does a couple of things. The ultrasound, in all honesty, gives life to the child. Not that the ultrasound gives life, but it actually helps the OBGYN, the obstetrician, gynecologist, uh, hear the baby's heartbeat, get a measurement on the baby. See how big he or she is? Or are they at normal head, you know head size and body size and weight, et cetera, et cetera, how far along they are. And abortion clinics will never do that. And I'll say, let me say this again what they, the, they say. Say it again for the people in the back. An abortion clinic will not show a, a pregnant mother, her preborn child. They will tell their constituents who honestly believe this. That it's too traumatic for a woman to see the ultrasound of her baby, because she might get the impression that that's actually a baby and not just a cluster of fetal tissue. Now, if you've seen some of the mock-ups that are being done, the this is the baby. This is what your baby looks like at six weeks in the womb, eight weeks in the womb. I hate to say gestation; that sounds so scientific and clinical, but basically. There are companies that make these uh, these kind of prosthetic versions of babies and this is what the baby looks like at every stage of development inside the mother's womb and so you can see if a woman's 10 weeks along this is what has to be done to your child to abort that child's life when pro-lifers show up in front of a an abortion clinic they're automatically a target and let's face it they're in washington dc which is one of the most pro-abortion areas in the world. And so basically, the first set of defendants, and this was called the Handy case, Lauren Handy is the director of activism at Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. And they were accused of basically blocking the entrance. Prosecutors argued that Handy was the leader of a blockade at the Washington Surgic Clinic. Oh, that just sounds terrible. An abortion facility called Surgic Clinic. They organized a blockade in October of 2022. The defendants communicated about the blockade, which they called a rescue, by phone and social media. Many people traveled from out of town to be part of the blockade. According to the, the report, on the day of the blockade, Lauren Handy showed up for an appointment that she made under the name, the pseudonym of Hazel Jenkins. A clinic employee opened the door. Several of the activists pushed their way into the facility, resulting in a nurse injuring her ankle. A few members of the group began moving furniture to block the door leading into the clinic, and some used chains, ropes, and locks to form a human blockade. Those who did not remain in the clinic area stood in the hallway outside the entrance. One woman who arrived for the appointment that day testified during the trial that under the pseudonym that she climbed through a window in the reception area to evade the activists. WUSA Channel 9 in Washington DC reported that another patient who also testified the following day said that English has not heard her husband's first language and they didn't really understand what was happening. Lauren Handy explained that an undercover video released by Lila Rosa's group Live Action back in 2013 motivated her to become an activist. The video appears to show Cesar Santangelo, the abortionist at the Washington Surgical Clinic, admitting that he would not help an infant born alive after abortion. Now that's reprehensible. The POW activist testified that she believed that the facility was engaged in criminal behavior and that convinced her to take actions that she did back in 2020. According to federal prosecutors, the blockade lasted about three hours before the police removed the activists from the scene. The prosecution of the five activists has drawn, you know, all sorts of, uh, uh, frustration from uh, Marjorie Dannenfelsher of the uh, SBA uh, Susan B Anthony Pro Life America group Penny Nance the president of the pro life group Concerned Women from America called the prosecution malicious she said this is called this is a blatant abuse of power and it's political power meant to intimidate pro life voices i'm going to offer a contrary position here and explain to you in the next segment why I actually agree with the court. I don't like to see pro-life activists get arrested. I don't like to see it at all. I don't like to see innocent pro-life activists who are singing praise songs on the sidewalk in front of an abortion clinic to meet that demise. But there's so much uh, that I think we can learn from this case here that I'll put that reputation on the line. Let's do that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But The first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, You know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now, they've had the ultrasound, you've seen the picture, you've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else? Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound Either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own, or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk, it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says "Preborn." Cute little baby there, wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, taking up the case here, uh, actually on the other side of the aisle, against a group called Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising Lauren Handy is their director of activism. She and four other co-defendants were uh, convicted of a blockade that they uh, formed in October of 2022, another action in 2020, where they literally stormed into an abortion clinic, locked the doors shut, scared the daylights out of the people who were in there, and basically refused to leave. They held a standoff for three hours, and they were found guilty of violating the FACE Act, which is the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances. Now, I mentioned freeborn all the time here. When you go to a preborn clinic, and I want to thank the anonymous $1,000 donation that we got over the weekend to help facilitate the rescuing of children. A woman goes to a preborn clinic, she has an ultrasound. When she has seen the ultrasound, she's told how far along she is. She gets to hear the heartbeat, gets to see the pictures of the baby, and then the technician explains to her or the doctor or nurse who's volunteering that day how far along she is and what her options are. Congratulations, you're a mom, you're gonna raise this child. Congratulations, you are a, a, the birth mother and you're going to release this child for adoption. That's something abortion clinics never tell you or if in states where the abortion is legal, you can let them know what the legal abortion status is. 85% of the women who go to a preborn clinic who see the ultrasound and have that conversation with their counselor, 85% of them choose life for their child either to be a parent or to raise that chi- release that child to adoption a l- little over 10,000 women last year also heard the good news of the gospel and gave their hearts to Jesus Christ so not are we saving not only are we saving babies lives we're saving souls as well through preborn 833-850 baby is the number to call to make a tax deductible donation today 833-850-2229 it costs $15,000 in a one-time tax-deductible donation, we'll provide one more uh, ultrasound machine for a preborn clinic. Uh, Dennis Wilson put up a match this summer for $7,500, and we were able to raise another $7,500. So congratulations, bottom line listeners, you put another ultrasound machine, one that can do 250 ultrasounds per year for a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 babies saved potentially. We're looking for another donor who will actually be generous as well. A $15,000 donation takes care of the entire ultrasound machine. $28 takes care of one visit. So 280 takes care of 10 visits and you can do the math. I love what Preborn is doing to save babies. 833-850-BABY is the number to call or just click on the banner for uh, pre-born at uh, kbrightradio.com. What's wrong with the case involving the five pro-life activists who violated the FACE Act and are now facing prison time? Let's start at the very beginning, shall we? Okay. We live in a culture that no longer honors God and the Bible as standards for living. It's not Christian America or post-Christian America. It's now anti-Christian America. So when you bring pro-life, conservative, biblical values to the table, people automatically think you're filled with hate speech. Secondly, when you have an organization called progressive anti-abortion uprising, gang, I don't know who uses the term anti-abortion anymore to represent the pro-life community. A progressive anti-abortion uprising sounds like you wanna start some stuff. Third, when you have a director of activism at said organization, Okay. no one cares, quite frankly, that this is the same group that actually made headlines in March of 2022 because they were looking at remains from the facility that they were picketing, this Washington Surgeon Center in Washington, D.C. A year and a half ago, they recovered the remains of five babies that were killed and had been delivered at full term. The mothers had tried to abort the kids and the abortion, quote unquote, didn't work. So the doctors left the babies to die and buried their remains along 110 other human remains in at, at a nearby field. That's very good and noble and wow, isn't that amazing for the pro-life com- community? But what these people did to protest the killing was they literally did storm into an abortion clinic using pseudonyms, using ropes, I mean, using the same tactics as the left because the urgency is so great. So here's the question. Ask yourself, what would Jesus do? Does scripture not tell us that blessed are you when you are persecuted because of your faith in Christ? Did Jesus ever encourage the disciples to take up weapons and storm Rome? Remember, one of the reasons why your Jewish friends don't accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah is that he didn't overthrow the Roman government and establish the Pharisees as the government. Now, I am all for people in the pro-life community doing everything they can to protect the lives of innocent pre-born human beings. I do. It's part of the reason why Preborn is a part of not only our program, but also the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. But remember the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before others that they see your good deeds and those good deeds cause them to glorify your father in heaven. A group that calls itself the progressive anti-abortion uprising that has a director of activism that uses a pseudonym to crash into an abortion clinic is going about it all wrong. Right goal, right effort, right attempt to say, we've got to protect the babies absolutely wrong execution and i'm i'm not surprised the jury decided the way they did if i were on the jury i would probably would have decided that way too because there's a more excellent way why fight fire with that kind of fire why not combat the lies with love why not combat the hatred of the left with the love of jesus christ I'm hoping, for the sake of these activists, that they do wind up having their case overturned and that they get sprung from prison. But if they don't, we can look at this as an example of how not to present the good news of the gospel. May it be done, as 1 Peter 3.15 says, with gentleness and respect. That's the bottom line.